You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Well, it's so good to be here with you uh, this morning. This weekend started Friday night with uh, with Earl and Christina at uh, a live youth, and uh, great to be with your young people. Those guys are doing an incredible job uh, as your youth leaders, raising up an army of young people. And then yesterday, uh, with uh, some of you guys from uh, both campuses uh, over at Birmingham Gardens, and just teaching in. Uh, what it is to live a spirit-led lifestyle, and then also activating uh, some of you guys as well in that and challenging you to just not receive and hear a message, but to take that out onto the streets. And I think that that is uh, where probably the challenge of Christianity lays at the moment. I think we've gotten pretty good at doing church. I think we've gotten pretty good at, you know, building places where we can gather and encounter the presence of God. But what about the rest of the world? What about the rest of the city? What about your workmates that might not ever want to go into a church that might have been burnt by religion? What about those guys? How do we reach them? How do we break down the barriers? How do we get past all of that? Well, it's going to take a people who are aware of who they are and what they're carrying. It's going to take a people that are breaking free of mindsets that I believe are holding them back. And this morning, that's really what I want to talk about. I want to perhaps take a, you know, a different direction than perhaps what you may think uh, you know, a spirit-led life message would be. Because I think that we are, in the moment, in church culture, confronted with mindsets that are preventing us from being effective in the workplace and out there in the world. We see that the early church had everything that we had and have, the power of the Holy Spirit, the testimony of Jesus, the gospel, but there was an authority and power that they had let's, that if we were honest, we don't see all that much in the church these days. I mean, let's just be honest. We see snippets of it, and I think that we're starting to see an increase of it, and we're definitely seeing a hunger for it. There's a dissatisfaction for the way that we have been doing church and perhaps the limitations that we keep butting up against. And, and there's something deep inside of us that knows that there is more than what we've tasted and experienced. So I, I think that God is positioning us and placing inside of us a holy dissatisfaction, crying out for more. But when we look at the early church, we see that there was, you know, they were in a time that was so much similar to the time that we're facing now. There was cultural angst. There was such a, a, a bipolarity between the culture of the kingdom and the culture of, of their times. And we've been through a time where, where you know, like in the, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, where the culture of this world didn't look too dissimilar to the culture of the kingdom. They had the same moral values. Where now we live in a day where it's just further, it's separating further and further and further. And so we need to learn how to overcome what I think is some of those mindsets and values and beliefs of secular world culture creeping into the church if we are to be effective. Because as I said yesterday, we can't influence a world that we are being influenced by. We can't take authority over a way of living when we are also being influenced or under that way of living. It takes, like Jesus was, 
a, someone from a different world, a different way of thinking. It takes a, uh, someone to come from a different kingdom, a different way of life, a different rhythm, if you like, to be able to pull people back into the rhythm that they were actually created for. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I'm going to try and get through this really, really quickly. I did this in my own church. It took three weeks. I'm going to do this in one. All right? So uh, that's miracle number one this morning, if we get through this in time. Galatians 5.25, it's what we launched from uh, yesterday. It says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Sounds easy, right? Who knows there is opposition to that? I mean, right there, Paul is talking about you have life in the Spirit. You've been given life in the Spirit. Now just keep in step with the Spirit. I love the language he uses. To me, it speaks of rhythm. Keep in rhythm. There is a rhythm for us to enter into. But you know, uh, if you've been around church long enough, Christian life long enough, that staying in a rhythm, staying in step with the Spirit is easier said than done. In fact, a few verses before in Galatians, uh, at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh is in opposition to life in the Spirit. And life in the Spirit is opposition, is opposition to life in the flesh. They are at war with one another. And you have to understand sometimes this word flesh is misunderstood. Sorry, I should have said disclaimer up front. I talk really, really fast. You're going to have to keep up. I tell my church that they have to listen back at the podcast half speed. And uh, they'll be able to capture everything. Uh, <clears throat> I've tried talking slow. It just doesn't work. So anyway, where was I? Flesh. Sometimes that word flesh is misunderstood. When Paul uses that word flesh in context to opposition of the spirit, he is talking about an external force and an internal force. Sometimes we hear that word flesh and we think that it's a battle within us. But in this context, when Paul uses this word flesh, he's talking about an external force trying to pull us into a pattern in a way of living that is opposite than the life of the spirit. So often we look inwards for solutions, not realizing that actually it's the external pressures that are pulling against us and trying to pull us out of rhythm with the Spirit. Who knows that our lives are not lived in neutral, that they are contested, that they reveal a conflict between the opposition of this world and the wonder and awe of God's grace. That is the posture that we live this Christian life. It's in contest, contention around two different worlds. The title of my message this morning is Life in Rhythm. For those of you taking notes, I want to take this phrase that Paul uses, keep in step, and I want to speak about living life in rhythm. Matthew chapter 11, I think it's going to be up there on the screen from the message translation. You guys will be all familiar with this. It says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I think the, these words of Jesus are more true today than they were perhaps even when he spoke them. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Anyone this morning come in wearing something heavy or ill-fitting? I, I find all the time that people, not just in the world, but people in the church, are wearing and carrying burdens that they were never created to carry. God, Jesus here is saying, I have come to set you free. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but everything around us has rhythm to it. The songs that we sang this morning that have been created and played by Jared Cavallari, drum, ex drummer extraordinaire. He was one of my youth, youth guys growing up in youth. 
And um, he, wasn't, he wasn't as good back then. He's gotten better. It's good to see. <laughs> Everything around us has a rhythm. The sun came up this morning. It will go down tonight. Tomorrow it will come up and it will go down again. We're in the season of spring. There is the rhythm of the seasons. The moon orbits the earth and the earth orbits the sun. There is rhythm to that. There is rhythm in nature. The animal kingdom has rhythm. Right now at the moment, we have a bird camped outside a window that in rhythm wakes us up at 5 a.m. in the morning. The song it sings would be wonderful at 8, but not so good at 5. It's not, it's, but that's the rhythm of nature. We see this all around. We see it in things that humans create, songs, poetry, all these different things have rhythm and cadence to it. Architectures talk about structure uh, having a certain rhythm or a certain pattern. CPUs uh, you know, in computers are built with CPUs, cl CPU clocks to keep everything in rhythm. Mechanics, cars, people that are not me. I know nothing about cars. Craig Finn here, he was always a car head when I was growing up in church. So many people here that are from like a former life. It's kind of crazy. But you know, it, engines have timing belts or timing chains to keep the engine firing in rhythm. Everything around us speaks of rhythm, efficiency and effectiveness. Runners run in rhythm. And, and really, the, a marathon runner or a sprinter, the one who's going to finish first is usually the one, yeah, they're going to be fitter and faster, yes, but they're also going to be the one who gets in rhythm quickest and stays in rhythm. It speaks of efficiency and effective, uh, effectiveness. Our inhale, our breathing, our own lives, brain patterns, heart patterns, all have rhythm. When God created man, he breathed life. He breathed the Spirit of God into the nostrils of Adam. And there was an inhale, and then there was an exhale. And rhythm started, inhale and exhale. And it's such a wonderful picture of how we live the rest of our life, receiving and giving, drawing life with our breath, and then giving out. Drawing life, drawing in the life of God, the breath of God, the spirit of life, and then giving out of that. Which poses the question, asks the question, from where are we drawing life from? Because it's out of that, out of the inhale, we will give the exhale. It's out of where we draw life from. If we're drawing life from the wrong well, then our ability to give out will not be there. Or it will at least be ineffective. And that's when we start using words like burnout, tired, worn out. Why? Because Jesus was pointing out here that, hey guys, you're receiving from, you are drawing life from the wrong well. You see, in this time and day, Jesus was actually talking to an Israel audience, the, the Jews. Of, of course, we know this. And he was speaking specifically into the law. He was saying, he was pointing out that the, the rhythm they were living their life according to was the rhythm of the law. Now, there's nothing wrong with the law. We know that the law was perfect, but the law wasn't designed for humanity. It was there to keep them, to keep Israel going in the right direction, or at least try to keep Israel going into the right direction until Christ came, until the fullness of life in Jesus Christ was able to come and fulfill the law on our part. And so the law was never made for humanity. It could never change our nature. Who knows that to be true? The law is powerless to change our nature. So what happens, what Jesus is pointing out here is, hey, you're wearing the yoke of the law. It is wearing you out because it is pulling against your nature that it is powerless to change. And so we have this effect. They're, being, they're tired. They're worn out. 
Now, the law was just more than a set of rules to follow for the Israelites. It was their way of life. It was their every waking, breathing moment. From the moment they woke up to the moment they went to bed, from the moment they were born to the moment they died, they lived by this thing called the law. It was their culture. It was their system. It was their rhythm. Those three things we talked about yesterday, how culture is just the story we live out of. It's a great definition of what culture is. I spent like almost a whole message at our church unpacking what culture means. But I'm going to give you the short version this morning. It's simply the story that we live out of. The story we live out of. Now, every culture has a system. Culture is values and beliefs. And around those values and beliefs, we form a system, a way of life, a way of living, a way of reacting, and a way of responding. Okay, we live in a culture. Every culture has a system. And those two things inform us or set the rhythm and pattern of our life. Culture, system, rhythm. You guys with me? It looks like it. I'm hoping this is making sense. You guys, give me some grace. I'm going somewhere with this, believe it or not. Culture, system, rhythm. So for the Israelites, being tired, worn out, and burnt out was a direct result of their life not working for them. The culture they were in, the system they were under, and the rhythm that had been set, which is why Jesus comes in and he says, come to me, learn from me. Come to me, receive from me, learn from me. He is inviting them in. When he says, come to me, he is inviting them into a new culture, another world, another way of living. And then when he says, learn from me, he's introducing a new system, a new pattern. I know it's not the best phrase to use, but Jesus then becomes our new system, a new way of looking. He's our new model, our new way of living, sorry. And then he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a new rhythm that he is introducing. In these three verses, these couple of short scriptures, Jesus is identifying that your rhythm is not working for you. It is burning you out. It is wearing you out. It is causing anxiety and pressure in your life. Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. This is the rhythm your life was built for. This is the rhythm that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. This is the rhythm that humanity has been chasing and striving for ever since that moment. A rhythm that fits a rhythm that works, life in rhythm, a new system, a new culture for us to live out of, one that would lead to rest. Can I get an amen? Have you noticed that our culture, our Western culture in particular, is starving and thirsty for rest? Our Christian lives, our church culture are filled with people that are starving and thirsty for rest which says to me that there must be something wrong with the way we are doing life. That there must be something wrong with the rhythm that we have pulled into, with the rhythm that we have bowed down to even. There's gotta be something wrong. We gotta start asking these questions. Mark Sayers, uh, you know, a pastor in Melbourne, great, 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 great author, incredible mind, intimidating how smart this guy is. I've been reading a lot of his books. He says that anxiety is the canary in the coal mine, warning us that the system we have subscribed to is not working. And what I'm going to talk about here, what we are talking about here is that unfortunately, this world culture, this way of thinking has crept into 
our Christian life and our Christian thinking. And it has left us infertile in producing a life that has an impact on the world. It has left us without the authority and power that we need to live a spirit-led life, to take what we see happening here in this culture, in this environment, and land it in our Monday through to our Saturday. Because we've been infected. Now, I know this, you're thinking, man, this doesn't sound like good news, but there's good news coming. It's okay. Hang on there. Is that okay? Are you guys still with me? How are we going? Wow. We're in trouble. I haven't got time to unpack this, but secular culture, it, it kind of all started, at least how we know it, back in the age of enlightenment. You're going to have to Google that and find out what that means. Back in the age of enlightenment. Paris was kind of the center of this culture breaking out. Uh, again, I'm going to read from Mark Sayers. I'm going to quote him. In fact, there's stuff there up on the screen which you can read through as I'm reading this. This is kind of how he unpacks how we've come from the age of enlightenment and where we are now and how this all fits and how this all works. Let me know if this rings true when you start hearing some of these things. Here's how he describes secular culture. It promotes independence and individualism above everything else. We end up with this hyper individualism, what the Bible calls flesh and slavery. We just read a passage on that. The world is now calling the pathway to freedom. It says that the highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. The traditions and religions and regulations, social ties that restrict individual freedom. There it is up on the screen. Thank you, guys. Uh, that restrict individual freedom, happiness, and self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. The primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-denied quest for every individual freedom and self-expression. Does that sound familiar? Any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated. Again, does that sound familiar? So, like I said, the good news, this is just like a snapshot. It's talking about, they, but basically, the secular culture believes that humanity is ultimately good. No need of redemption. No need of a savior. And if we follow human secular thought through to the end, we end up in a utopic society. Beautiful picture of, what, of where we're heading. Of course, we know and we can see and the world is starting to see that this does not work. That actually we're getting further and further away. And Trump being elected, Brexit, and all these things that are creating world turmoil are signs that the system is failing. That secular culture, we're not heading towards utopia, we're actually going in the opposite direction. And we're finding, uh, you know, another book I've been reading by Johan Hari at the beginning of the year over summer called Lost Connections. And he attributes the rise in anxiety and depression to the fact that we as a society have become disconnected and we're living lives as individuals rather than how we were created to live life in family and community. Sound familiar? Sounds like the kingdom of God to me. And this is why it's so, so important because this is against everything that the kingdom stands for. It's countercultural. And you will know and, 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 and recognize that individualism has crept its way into the church. We talk about our own personal salvation with Jesus Christ, which is a real thing. But I can't find in Scripture anywhere where our, my relationship with God exists outside the context of the body of Christ, outside of community. But we often put our individual needs and individualism before all that. And here's one way it plays out, and this is why this is really important, because often this means that when it comes to you know, relationship with God, we're sacrificing that 
for our own sense of individualism. And this works out and plays out in church in that we place value over content or knowledge over intimacy with Jesus Christ. If we got real and honest, we ask most people in our church how their intimacy with Jesus Christ is going. They say, yeah, probably not so good. I just don't have time for that anymore. But I know my Bible and I'm consuming podcast after podcast. The reality is knowledge outside of intimacy does not work. It's just, it's just humanism. Christianity is not built around content. It's built around relationship. It's not built around me knowing that God heals. It's built around me experiencing that God heals. It's not built around me knowing that He is Savior. It's built around me experiencing His salvation power in my life. And when we disconnect, when we make it about the individual and we disconnect relationship both with the body of Christ and with God Himself, we end up with something like Paul talks about, a form of godliness that looks all right from the outside. But where is the power? Where is the authority? Where is the transformational power that has the ability to change a society and turn the world upside down? Quote from Acts about how the disciples lived their life. I'm gonna have a look at some other things up here. They're gonna put them up up on the screen. Oppositions, secular versus kingdom. We've been talking about individual versus family. The whole individual thing is not new. It started way back in the garden. If I could have the team up, that would be great. We're not going to have time to unpack with them, obviously. That's your homework. The whole individual versus family thing started back in the garden. This is important, really, really key to understand when it comes to living a spirit-led life. You will know that when Adam and Eve were created, every need they had was being met through relationship, either with God or with each other. That's the way humanity was designed. Every need they had was met through either relationship with God or relationship with each other. There was a problem though. It wasn't a problem. It was called free will. There was a tree in the garden that they could eat of. Tree of knowledge, good and evil. Anyone familiar with that tree? And of course, they were tempted to eat of this tree. And we know the story. We know how it works. The woman fell for it first and then she hooked the man. It's usually how life works. What happened is this, for the first time in Adam and Eve's life, they obtained knowledge outside of relationship. For the first time in their life, they obtained knowledge outside of the connection they were designed for. And it pulled them out of rhythm. You see, we read the Proverbs, a book of wisdom, But do we understand the context of the book of Proverbs? It's a father speaking to a son. There's relational context. As a father, David was speaking and communicating wisdom to his son. You take that knowledge outside of relationship and it has no transformational value whatsoever. It's just content. It's just content. But you place that same principles, you place the principles of Proverbs and the principles of the whole Bible, generation to revelation, you place it, generation to revelation, Genesis to revelation, you place it in the context of relationship and it transforms you from the inside out. Secular society will teach us to disconnect knowledge from relationship and we're left with just empty values. 
we know more than any other generation in history. We know everything about everything and what we don't know, we can Google it and we can know it in an instant, but we are more held captive than ever before. We are more in bondage than ever before. Knowledge is not freeing. Jesus said, the truth shall set you free. The truth is a person. It's relationship. All of these things, temporal versus eternal. Again, we don't have time to unpack it. But when we start living for the temporary, which is secular culture, then we devalue human life. When we get an eternal perspective, the most valuable thing in the world is human life, human souls, salvation. When we start thinking temporal, we start placing value on things. I gotta get this, I gotta look good, social media, I gotta keep up my image, I gotta be wearing the right stuff, listening to the right things. We place value on the temporal and we miss out on our calling in life, which is to bring salvation through the Word of Jesus Christ to all humanity. We gotta shift the focus back to the eternal. Comparison and compassion, all of that makes sense. I have come, Jesus said, come to me, come to me and I will give you rest. Which means we have to unlearn and relearn new patterns. Alvin Toffler, who's an author and a futurist. Don't you just love that? Wouldn't you love that on your business card? What do you, I'm a futurist. He says this, the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. And I think that this is where we are at the church right now. That's Romans 12, 2 right there. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our effectiveness as a church to live a spirit-led life, to take the gospel, to take the good news, to take prophetic words, words of knowledge, the gifts of the Spirit, the manifestations of the Spirit, to take them into the world, into our workplaces, into our schools, into our universities, in a very natural, normal, non-weird way. Just being ourselves, our ability to do that is connected to our ability to unlearn old patterns and relearn new ones, to unlearn old patterns of thinking. My kids are into Bondi Rescue. Anyone else watch Bondi Rescue? I mean, living in Sydney now, we get to visit Bondi quite a bit. And um, you, you would know if you watch Bondi Rescue that it's pretty predictable as a show. Tourists come in, foreigners can't come in. They can't swim and apparently they can't read. They walk straight past the signs to say, don't swim here, you're gonna drown. And they swim anyway. And you know, so most of the show is, is pretty predictable. They go in and they rescue these people and they say, don't swim there, go swim between the flags. Every now and then something serious happens and these people almost drown. And, and then they say they have to bring them out and they have to get the paddles. They have to shock them back into their hearts, back into rhythm. Their hearts have stopped beating. They get the paddles, they charge, they say clear and out come the paddles and shocked back into rhythm. What Jesus is saying here for us in Matthew chapter 11, come to me those who are weary and I will give you rest. He's saying, come to me, my life is about to shock your life back into rhythm. With the power of God and the grace of God, my life is about to shock you back into rhythm. Shock you back into the rhythm. And the reason why we have to unlearn, relearn new patterns is because we carry that same calling to shock the world around us back into the rhythm of grace, back into the unforced rhythm of grace, back into the rhythm that they were designed for. First of all, we have to get free in order to set those around us free. I said this yesterday, free people, free people. Free people, free people. 
Jesus comes on the scene. I've been anointed to bring healing to the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. He was our free person, setting the captives free. Now we are those free people called to set the captives free. Why don't we stand on our feet? Peter 2, 11, 12, let me just land this thought. This is my divinely loved friends. It's kind of summing up my whole message, maybe. Maybe I could have just read this and be done with it. My divinely loved friends, since you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you to divorce yourself from the evil desires that wage war within you, from the culture around you. Live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers. You can say, live a spirit-led life as you mix with unbelievers. Even though they accuse you of being evildoers, for they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God in the day He visits. Those beautiful works come out of a life in rhythm. And this morning, I wonder if there are people here this morning, well, every eye is closed. Let this just be a God time between you and Him. I wonder if we can see perhaps by a lift of hands, those of you, you know what? My life is out of rhythm. My life is out of rhythm. And I just want to acknowledge that. And I'll acknowledge my need on God, my need for God to come in and to shock me back into the rhythm of the kingdom, kingdom to undo mindsets, to undo ways of thinking, ways of this world that have crept into my own life, to my own Christian faith. If you're here this morning and you need a reset, a rhythm reset, why don't you just quickly lift your hand because I'd love to pray with you. Awesome, our hands lifted everywhere. Lord, I thank you for your presence coming in this morning. I thank you for your presence ministering life, setting us back in rhythm, setting us back in rhythm. Lord, I pray for healing. Lord, I pray for those suffering from anxiety. Lord, and I minister peace. Not as the world gives it, that fades away, but peace according, again, to your culture. A peace that stays with us. A peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace that breaks chains. A peace that is a weapon against the world and the ways and the system of this world. I release peace and waves of peace across minds, across lives in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that your voice would become the loudest. Your voice to become the loudest in a world that is screaming for our attention, in a world that is screaming for our devotion. Lord, I pray that your voice would become the loudest, that you would reset the rhythms of our spiritual life, of our emotional life, of our mental life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So good. Can we thank Pastor Aaron this morning? Amazing, amazing word. They're yeah, keeping in rhythm. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.